Here's what I'm going to talk about today because we're going to find out that now the spiritual gifts that God has given you are for the purpose of God ministering to others and it's all about being part of a body. Chapter 12, right? We've been all through that. Now, the thing about it is, is you find out that all of these are tools that he uses, but none of them work unless you got the right handle. There's all these tools, but there's one handle that fits them all. Okay? And it's love. So I would ask you, how's your love handle? I guess, I don't know, but that's what it is. Uh, I want you to read with me just the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, though I speak, now he's been talking about spiritual gifts. All right, back up, back up. He says, verse 31, chapter 12, I earnest, he says, but earnestly desire, it's okay to be zealous for the best gifts, but I said, I want to show you a more excellent way. Then he says, now, speaking of some of the, the more public gifts and things that are showier, he said, listen to this. Though I speak with the languages of the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And listen to this. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I know everything there is to know about truth and about God, everything, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, oh, wow, about as far as you can go, isn't it? But he says, and have not love, it profits me nothing. Profits me nothing. That's heavy stuff, isn't it? I'm going to stop right there uh, because, as we know, the purpose of your gift is not primarily to make you feel closer to God. It's to build up the church, help others get closer to God. But on the flip side, are you with me? You're not going to be able to maximize your relationship with God without the gift of others. You can't maximize your relationship with God without the gift working through others. Paul informs us here that it's okay to be zealous for greater gifts. I mean, who wouldn't want to make a greater impact for God, right? That's what he's saying in verse 31 of chapter 12. Uh, but wait, there's something more. There's something better to pursue. There's something better to desire. It is what he calls a more excellent way. It goes way beyond anything you guys are thinking about, and it is the way of love. Now, as I said before, this 1 Corinthians chapter 13 isn't sandwiched right here where he's trying to straighten out some of the mess in Corinth uh, about spiritual gifts. It's, it, 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 he, he, he didn't sandwich it in there just so we have something to read at weddings. It fits right here because this is a key part. This is what everything attaches to. It has to all come back to this. He's explained that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. You're saved. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. We've already seen that. But he, he says that everyone, if you look in verse 7 of chapter 12, he says the manifestation of the Spirit is given. God's presence ought to be manifest or revealed in us and through us in some way. Now, some of you have been taught there's only one way or two ways. And then we kind of limit ourselves to that and think, well, there's that. No. He says there are so many things that God wants to do that it's given to each one. There is some way that the very presence of God, the power of God, the life of God is going to manifest itself through you if you're saved. 
And so that's why he says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. It was a foreign idea to Paul for someone to claim to be part of the body of Christ and not be included in that each one. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Why? Why? Read the rest of it. He says, for the profit or the benefit of all. So why is the manifestation of God living in me given to me? It's for your benefit, not just mine. All right, we got that. That's good. Um, now, uh, we true gifts are to benefit others. We're all, as I said, parts of different parts of the body of Christ. But why don't we find out that if everything, if, if, if it amounts to nothing, that no matter what ability or what you can do or what anything, that, listen, it all amounts to absolutely zero. It amounts to nothing if it's not motivated and actuated in love, real love. So here we go. Ready? We find out now spiritual gifts are tools God uses in building his kingdom. That's what we've been talking about all this time. But now we find out that love is the handle that fits every one of these tools. Can you just let that sink in a little bit? Basically, you can't use any of the tools without the handle, without love. He's talking about real love. Um, You know, I, I find out that a lot of people in our world do not even understand what really love. We're talking about love all the time, right? You understand what real love is, that it only comes from God. In fact, the Bible says God is love. Our world longs for it because, you know, we're created with that hole inside of us and we just want nothing more than to love and to be loved, right? And, but we don't really know what love is. And it seems like people are, they're looking for love, but they're looking in all the wrong places. They're, they're looking for love in, in too many faces. That'd make a good song, wouldn't it? <laughs> so we just don't get it and we're driving ourselves mad trying to find something that God says I'm the only source of alright so the necessary ingredient in everything is the love of God so the spiritual health uh, uh, that, that we have it, it can only come from him and the health of our spiritual life is not ref- listen how spiritually healthy you are is not reflected in spiritual gifts but in spiritual fruit all right. So how spiritual you are, how your spiritual health, I should say, is not, re- is not reflected in your spiritual gifts. In fact, that you could do this or do that or can, whatever. It's reflected in spiritual fruit. Um, because the fruit that the Spirit produces through our lives. And guess what the first one is? Galatians 5.22. What's the first one? Love. And all of the other ones flow from that. Love. And he, you know, he talks about love, joy, peace, and long stuff. You're going to see a lot of this come out as he described what love does and what love does not do. And kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control, all of these things. Uh, this is the fruit of the Spirit that reflects your actual spiritual health. Because you can, man, you can preach, you can do all kinds of things and not have the real evidence of spiritual health in your life. Okay? Now, um... Paul's been explaining how we're part of a body, once again, Christ the head. Each part's vital because it supplies something the rest of the body needs. And I think this is why so many of our local bodies are so unhealthy. Right? 
We only have a few parts working. We only have a few gifts coming in play. And there's so much. It's, it's, like, it's like our local bodies of believers. We're, we're, we're paralyzed. We have areas of paralysis. And we're not able to function and be used to build the kingdom and do the work that God's called us to do. Because something's not being supplied by certain parts of the body. Okay? So, you know, that, that's, that's the old idea of, of, you know, something that's needing to be done. Uh, what are we paying the preacher for? Yeah. See, I've only got a few gifts. And, 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 and what happens when I try to do things outside of mine, I don't do very well. I don't do as well as you do. And then I, get, I don't get to do what I'm gifted and called to do. Because part of what I'm gifted and called to do is, is part of it is, is to shepherd and to pastor and to teach. Okay? And this is a gift of prophecy comes in here of speaking forth the word of God. Right? God's not revealing new truth we studied a couple of weeks ago. But all of it is connected to his word that is now complete. And, and I may spend hours and hours and hours. It may be 10, it may be 20 more hours just preparing for what I'm going to say today. So what I'm going to say in about 40 minutes, I, 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 have, I have, you know, many, many, many hours that I'm going to compress so I can give it to you. Because God says, you may not have time to do all that this week, but I'm going to do it. And then what you're going to get is the fruit of my labor. That that's my job, that's part of the gift that operates through me, is that, that I tell you the Holy Spirit will give me the timely and the insight and everything that this body needs so that I, I prepare, I spend all that time, and then I compress it, and so I can give it to you so you get the benefit of like 15 hours of just study on one message. And that's, that's part of what we're supposed to do. That's why I think this is important. Okay, but but if I if I'm having to do parts that aren't mine, then I can't really do that, and then that suffers, and then and, and, and it all begins to crumble. And many of you are having to do things that you're not gifted or called to do, you're just doing because nobody else will do it, and and this is not healthy. Okay, now there's always going to be work to be done here, right? But this is where he's trying to get us to understand this that that, that for health that each part, whether it's something visible, in fact the most. The most vital parts of a body aren't visible. And I'm telling you that, yeah, it's important that you have pastors and deacons and things that, that are, are, are able to lead and do the things they're called to do. But, but, but if that's all you got, then you still have a body. It takes you. And as many of you, you are, you are yeah, I know, we're using body language. So you're the backbone. Without you, the whole thing crumbles. And you might think, I don't feel like I'm doing anything or contributing anything. But what you're doing is you're just living for God, letting the Spirit work through you in ways you're not even aware of. And He has gifted you, and He's using you in ways that, that, that He sees. And without you, we all start struggling. And so we talked about that a lot, about how we need each other and everything. And uh, love is that ingredient that makes it all work. Without love, the gifts will not operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Without love. You can do a lot of things. We can have a lot of activity. We can have a lot of busyness. But it's not going to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. It'll be in the power of our flesh. Does that make sense? Okay. Sometimes I can't tell whether that's a deep, thoughtful look or a blank look. I or like confusion. I can't, I can't interpret that. Uh, but anyway, what happens is, if we're not operating fully in the power of the Holy Spirit, who operates through love, we default to the flesh. A lot of the Corinthians are obviously attracted to what they thought were the showier gifts. 
It can be like that, like Joseph's coat of many colors, right? We can become envious of other people's coat of many colors or, or of their gift. True? That's wrong to do that, but that's what happens. It's our culture in America. We're always comparing ourselves to other people, aren't we? We always feel like, well, they're more gifted than I am. Boy, they're more spiritual than I am. And we think other people's lives are better than ours. Other people's marriages are better than ours. And we covet their lives. Truth be told, they're probably worse. You never know. But that's the way we do. And the flesh takes over. It's not love. On the other hand, you might go around thinking, I'm all gifted and be all puffed up. And think you're more important than everybody else because of your gift. That doesn't sound very excellent, does it? Paul says, I want to show you a more excellent way. All right? So, spiritual gift, listen to this, is not what makes you spiritual. Even, even spiritual fruit is not what makes you spiritual Spiritual fruit is evidence that you are spiritual. So what does it really mean to be spiritual? Well, Paul liked to define it this way. He's talking about being spiritual and what that means and how do you do it because there's this battle goes on. Even though you're saved because you're still living in this body of flesh that's cursed by sin. And you still have a sinful nature attached to it. And you have that battle that goes on between the spirit and the flesh, right? And if you say no, we already know what your battle is. It's lying. <laughs> Paul says it this way. He talks about that battle in Galatians 5. And he says, I say then, walk in the spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what he defines. So, it, it, and it's synonymous. So, so you're walking in the Spirit. I'm walking by the Spirit's power. And if I'm doing that, so here's the thing. Too many times we're fo- focused on, boy, I don't need to think that. Boy, I don't need to do that. And I don't need to. And you're already thinking about it. When he, he's saying what you need to do is put your focus on the Spirit. If I'm focused on what I'm not supposed to do, I'm already leaning that way. But if I'm focused on him and what he wants to do in me and through me, I'm not even thinking about that. Does it make sense? He says it's synonymous with this in another place. He says it this way in Ephesians 5, 18. He says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. That word dissipation, debauchery, whatever. Because when you get under the influence of something like alcohol or you get high or anything like that, you're not you. You're not you. You are under the influence. You get busted driving, high or drunk, you get a DUI driving under the influence because you are not capable of being yourself and making judgment and, and everything else. You're under the influence of something foreign. All right? It kind of reminds me, and, and you see that, it's not you. Yeah? I mean, you may not be you when you're hungry, but I guarantee you're not you when you're drunk. Uh, reminds me of the old Andy Griffith shows, you know, when like Otis spiked the, the water thing in the jail, you know, with his, with his moonshine and Barney didn't know it. He was drinking and he's telling this story and he's drinking that water and Andy's just sitting there listening. And then all of a sudden Barney's voice starts to change and Andy's like, 
what? <laughs> you know, and he's going, <laughs> and, and it happens fast with Barney, right? But I don't, many of you have seen that, uh, but that's kind of, that's kind of thing is it changes you. And so here's the thing. He draws a comparison between being filled with the spirit and being on a foreign substance like that. He says, but be filled with the spirit. Don't be filled with wine where you're controlled by wine, but be filled with the spirit so that it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. You are under the influence. You are living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's what mean he means about walking in the Spirit and being spiritual. It is you living, yielding your will to his will and in his power, not your own. That's what he's talking about. This is how we live as a new creation in Christ. So walking by the Spirit is Paul's way of defining day-to-day obedience and submission to the Word of God. Because in another place, this is what's amazing. is <clears throat> because... We just want to get the filling of the Spirit. And so here's the interesting thing. A lot of times people throw different names on that, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, filling of the Holy Spirit. The interesting thing is if you take the New Testament after the day of Pentecost, you never find him specifically tell us to just seek a baptism. And, 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 and every time somebody says, well, I know that's there, I can show you. Then do it. Because what he does tell us is, nothing until chapter 12, and he says, you are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. But what he does tell us to do is seek the filling. So sometimes we flip-flop those terms. And so some people are waiting around for God to just do something. When the truth is, God's waiting around for you to just yield yourself. Do you see? That's what it is. I want God to just come in here and fix me and do this and give me this experience. And God's saying, no, 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 no. You've got a wrong motive and attitude. What I'm waiting for you is for you to finally give me access to every part of your heart. And to lay it all out there before me and yield yourself fully to me so that you're filled with me and not with yourself. I've been there more than once. Not waiting on him, he's waiting on you. In other words, there's something available for you at any time. You don't have to conjure it up. What you've got to do is you've got to kneel down. And you've got to yield yourself. Humble yourself. It may involve a lot of repentance. But it's interesting because walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit also indicates that we are walking obediently to His Word. Do you know why I say that? Stay with me. Because in a parallel passage, Paul's writing to the Ephesians about being Spirit-led and controlled, living a spiritual life. And right after this, you know what he says? He says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody on your heart and all that. To the Colossians, he wrote the same thing. Parallel passage. Colossians 3.16. Instead of saying, be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, he says it this way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Then, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's a parallel passage. So he almost equates, if you're going to be filled with the Spirit, it's also letting the word of Christ fill you and dwell richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing inside you. So you can't be filled with the Spirit and be spiritual without submitting and being obedient to the word of Christ. And as Paul said that, uh, Paul Paul was sent out personally by Christ and it all had to be traced back as we saw a couple weeks ago to the apostles, the ones who heard the words of Christ. And now we have the words of Christ written for us. If it's not dwelling in you richly, there's no way you can be spiritual. It goes along with being filled with the Spirit, being walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit. 
And so the word for love here is the Greek word for love. I mean, this is one reason why I know God chose Koine Greek to be the language of the New Testament. It is so precise. We've got one word, love. And a few Sunday nights ago, I mentioned how that there are about five Greek words that you just translate all with the English word love. There's four used in the New Testament. But this word here that's used here is a word I think you've heard of. A lot of people throw this around. The word agape. Agape is the Greek word that is translated there. Now, when I read this, I read in this translation that said that if I do not have love. Now, the old King James uses the word charity. Charity is the wrong word. It's love. And what's interesting is in preparing and studying all this, I like to read old commentators. And like even John Wesley. And John Wesley wrote this commentary just about a little over 100 years after 1611 after the first edition of the Old King James came out, and all these old commentators blasted for using the word charity. Wrong choice. They had too many people from a different persuasion on the council of translators. Wrong word, because even in his day, charity had to do with doing charitable deeds of kindness instead of this self-sacrificial, eternal, unconditional love. And, and, and I, listened, I just read like two paragraphs of John Wesley wailing against the fact that this is translated wrong in that translation. He preferred the older translations and, and, and so forth. But he said it's wrong because it, even in his day it gave the wrong idea because Paul comes out and says, if I do charitable deeds and give everything I have to the poor, but if I don't have this, it's nothing. So it's not charity, meaning just doing good deeds for others. That's not it. They totally missed it. And some people are stuck on it. And so even in their day, preachers had to get up and talk about this, okay? Agape. What is that? Well, interesting to know that it's one of the rarest words that you find in Greek literature. Like classical Greek, it's one of the rarest words that you find. In fact, it was so rare that some of the early translators hundreds of years ago thought that it was a word that the Holy Ghost invented to be used just for the Bible. But then we found more Koine Greek literature. We actually have a better understanding of Koine Greek language now than they did in the 15 and 1600s to translate better. And they understand that this was a word that was used, but it is a word fairly unique to the Bible. Because it is a word that means sacrificial, selfless, unconditional, never-ending giving of oneself. That was a concept a little bit foreign to the Greek mind. The closest thing they had was the word phileos, which meant a, a, a tender affection and care and concern for someone. Uh, Peter actually, or Jesus actually uses both of these words whenever he's having that talk with Peter about, do you love me? Do you love me? Or do you just care about me? He cha- you don't see it in the English. And so what I'm saying is, is that this is a word the world doesn't understand. Because when we think of love, we just think of the feeling that we feel when we feel a feeling. It's hard to describe, isn't it? Usually when people say, I love you, they have tender affection and care for someone. Not agape. A lot of times when people say, I love you, what they really love is they love the way you make them feel about themselves. Huh? 
the young gal says, I just love him so much. Well, you, 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 you're mixed up here because you love the way you feel whenever he's around and you've got this fantasy idea of the way he's going to treat you. Okay? That, that falls apart at some point, doesn't it? A lot of what the world considers love is really lust. There was a Greek word for that too, eros, not in the Bible. It's in Greek literature all over the place, but it's never used in the Bible. So, this is a unique word. This is something you only find from God. In fact, this is the word used in John 3.16, where it says, God so what? Loved. Agape. The world that, what did he do? Because he loves, what did he do? He gave. He gave. True love, sacrificial, selfless, unconditional, so that whosoever, you get it? God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever, whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish, but have to get eternal life. Um, this doesn't come natural to our human nature. You can't really have this love without the love of God. God is the source of it. So how do we love each other with this love like Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13? This love has to come by you receiving that love by faith when you get saved. You say yes to that by faith, and you receive the love of God. The love of God comes into your life, the Spirit of God into your life. One of the fruits of the Spirit, first one, agape. This is something you can't produce or conjure up. This is something that the Spirit produces. Remember Christ said, I'm the vine, you're the branch? The branch doesn't produce any fruit. The branch only bears the fruit. The vine produces the fruit. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit. I bear the fruit. I have to have him, give him access. I have to yield to him so that he can produce this in my life because I myself, on my own, am not capable of it. Neither are you. But it's necessary if all these spiritual gifts are going to work. They've got to work through love. And uh, it's agape love. Paul uses extreme examples here. <laughs> Look at this. He says, Though I speak with the tongues, meaning languages of men, if I spoke every language that people on earth speak, and even spoke languages of angels, but I have not love, I'm just making a noise. Bang, 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 bang. You know, it's like your kids, you know. It's, it gets irritating after a while. It says, uh, I'm, just a, I'm, just a, I'm just a noise. I'm just a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Then he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, he doesn't say he has the gifts to these extent, but he says I have the gift of prophecy to the point that I understand all mysteries. Well, did Paul claim to understand all mysteries? No. But he said, even if I did... And he said, and if I had all knowledge, if I knew everything that there was to know about God and about truth, if I knew everything. But he says, even if I have faith that I can move mountains. Now, you do understand Jesus spoke metaphorically about that, about the power of trusting in him to release his power through our lives to move mountains, right? I don't know that there's ever anything recorded in the Bible. Uh, there's nothing recorded in history of like a mountain like coming up and going over and dropping in the sea like that. So he's speaking metaphorically, right? But Paul said, even if you could watch me do that, even if I did that, and if I had that much faith like Jesus was talking about, 
But if I don't have love, if I don't have agape, what does it amount to? Class? Nothing. Zilcho. That's not the Greek word. That's just, I don't know where that comes from. But anyway, nothing. And um, then he goes on to say, and if I bestow all my goods, if I do all these charitable deeds to feed the poor, all my goods, I sell out everything. I even get rid of my home. He's going, see, he's giving an extreme example, kind of like Jesus said, if you're you know, trying to get a speck out of your brother's eye and you've got a two before sticking out of yours, it's kind of an extreme example. That's kind of what he's doing here. It's like, if I gave everything, so I ended up with zero, I gave everything to the poor. Then he goes on to say, get the fullness of what he's trying to get to here. He says, and I give my body, I sacrifice, I, I die. I give my body to be burned at the stake or I give myself to death. Uh, that's as far as you can go. That's pretty much all you can give. So he says, if I have like all these gifts where I could do these amazing things, and even if I give everything I have so I have nothing left, and even if I give myself, but if I don't do it for the right motive, and if it's not motivated and actuated by love, he says, but if I have not love, it profits me nothing. Nothing. And here's what I'm thinking. Paul says, if I could do all of this, you know, all knowledge, all mysteries, all languages, all everything, give all, give myself, well, I don't have any of that, and I hadn't done any of that. So if what I'm doing is not done out of love, then it must be less than nothing. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you get his example? Do you get what he's trying to get across to us? So everything that we're doing, that we're claiming we're doing for God and even helping people and nice things, and people look around and say, we're going to give you an award for all of this good that you've done to help people. Paul says, if it's not of love, it doesn't amount to anything in God's kingdom. And, you're, and it comes to nothing. Isn't you're not going to be blessed for it. Whew. Here's the problem. A lot of times you can't really see on the outside whether I'm doing it from love or not. If I'm not, and if you're not, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not his power. It's mine or yours. That's why I'm saying of so much of even the good that we do, brothers and sisters, I'm afraid many times we have great intentions, but I'm afraid many times we're doing them in the power of the flesh and not the power of the Spirit. And we're not, listen, listen, we're getting to see some good things happen, but we're not really getting to see what God can do because We're doing it in our power. We're claiming his power. We're calling it his power. But it's really more us. Not that God won't help people and bless people. But we're not going to get to to see what only God can do. They are nothing. I got to put that up there. Without it, the gifts, the tools are worthless. Wow. Wow. It may be that even when we do what seems like incredible things, we do it from selfish motives. Paul says, profits nothing. So, I'm going to, kind of, I'm going to hit the pause button here. We need to let this sink in. I need to let this sink in. Because the tools only work with this handle attached. Love. Agape love. Not phileo, fond affection. or all. I could have done a whole, like, 
10 sermons on just love. I don't want to, but now's not the time. We'll come back to it. We're going to do one more next week because here's what he does next. If you'll notice, as he goes through here, what he starts saying, love suffers long and is this kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. If you, if you look at this, it's like Paul shines agape love through a prism and we see 15 of its colors and hues, the spectrum of love by all these things that he lists here. And it's not like he describes this is what it is. In these verses, he describes this is what it does. Do you see what I'm saying? His description of agape love, he doesn't say this is what it is. This is what it does do and this is what it doesn't do. Because in order, see, if you have love as a noun, it will translate into a verb. Do you get it? A noun is a person, place, or thing. If you have the agape love noun, you will also have the agape love verb. It's used both ways. Can I show you one verse where it's used both ways in one verse? Okay, I'll do it anyway. Wake up, we're about done. Ephesians 2.4, he says, talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Then he says, yeah, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But God. Two words that changed my whole eternity. But God, I was helpless. I was spiritually dead. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great noun, love, agape, because of his great love, noun, with which he loved us, verb. Do you get it? Because God loved us with his great love, He gave His only begotten Son. He just didn't sit there with this concept of love. If you have agape love, it does something. And there's things that it doesn't do. It says, because of His great love with which He loved us, sending His Son down the cross, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. That is some powerful stuff. So, you're going to have to come back next week. And we're going to find out what agape love does. And he gives us several things that it does not do. And we're going to be able then to sift my motives and my actions through this and see whether the tools God gives me is being used by love and being used by the Holy Spirit or if it's going to come to nothing. Okay? So, before we go, um, until next time, check your love handle. That sounds weird. I'm sorry. I just had to say it. It's the handle that fits every one of the gifts, the tools. You need to check it constantly. Do you do what you do out of love? Listen, expecting nothing in return. Because that's agape love. I'm not doing it because you're going to appreciate me. I'm not doing it because you're going to thank me. I'm not doing it so you'll accept me. I'm not doing it for what I'll get back out of it. Are you following? Are you under conviction? I am. Self-sacrificing. Are you totally giving of yourself, expecting nothing back? Is this love unconditional? You're not putting conditions. If you this, I'll that. Listen. God is not us. God is not like us. 
God's love is not like our understanding of love. This goes beyond human comprehension. Because you're thinking, if I'll do this and this and this, maybe you'll love me more. God is saying there's nothing you could ever do to ever make me love you more because He loves you with a perfect love already. And I can kind of get a hold of that, but the flip side of that is what I have trouble with. Because His love is a perfect love. Which also means there's nothing so bad you could ever do that would make Him love you less. That's where you have the problem. Because you don't think that way and neither do I. But you're not God... And you and I don't fully understand agape love. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with whether you're having fellowship with his love or not. Okay? But I'm just saying he never, ever stopped. Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? What? He names all kinds of things. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's unconditional love. Eternal love. And without that, none of this is going to work.